And welcome to the Creature Double Feature. This afternoon, find out who will be the victor when vicious monsters engage in a fierce and bloody battle in Godzilla's Revenge. Then at 2.30, a world-famous diamond detective encounters a gigantic jellyfish in Dagora the Space Monster. <laughs> It's one of my favorite things to do as a young, you know, 13, 14 year old kid, the little, the little Mike uh, back at home, living back in Framingham outside of Boston. This time of year, I would be tuned in every weekend to Creature Feature or the double feature on uh, WLVI channel 56. I don't know if you East Coasters out there remember that. Um, but uh, I'd be tuned in every week, uh, especially this time of the year, uh, to watch all of my favorite monster movies. And that was the only place. This is pre. Uh, this is pre Netflix. <laughs> this is pre pre cable. You know, pretty much pre cable. And this is back in the day where uh, it was the only place that I could see these Godzilla movies. These strange. Films from Japan, these weird uh, 1970s monster movies, and I fucking loved it. I love it. I still do. Um, I had to hunt high and low. I actually have a t-shirt for that with the logo, which is super rad. Uh, Happy Halloween, everybody. You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy, and welcome to our Halloween show, our Halloween episode. I wanted to make sure that uh, we had a director on the show, a horror director, uh, someone that is making fantastic new content, new horror movies. Um, and every time that I have someone on the show or I start to give out like a, a list of movies to watch, horror movies to watch, because that's what the first question that you guys ask. Anytime I sign on to do an Instagram live, you guys are like top five fucking scary movies. And it's, I always fall back on the classics because at the end of the day, when someone says, what is the scariest movie you've seen? You're like, okay, when was the last time I was fucking scared? And you go back and you go, okay, so this was, this was back when I was watching the creature feature stuff. Right? And even in that time period, so it's like, okay, the original Nightmare on Elm Street scared the shit out of me. But then half the time I confused Nightmare on Elm Street with Dreamscape, right? With that sequence in Dreamscape, where, uh, what's that actor's name? He was also in Warriors. Oh my God, what's his name? His name is so, he's so fucking phenomenal. Like, and in Dreamscape, he rips out the president's heart in his dream. Remember, he uses like knife hands and, and rips it out. I was like, fuck, is that Freddy Krueger? No, 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 that was Dreamscape. That movie scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Loved that film. And then people are like, well, what other movies scare you? And you're like, all right, well, The Thing scared the shit out of me, The Original Nightmare. Uh, American Werewolf in London scared the hell out of me. And uh, we reference it all the time on the show. Uh, you'll hear it during the ad reads today as we get into BarkBox. I love the fact that that's my, <laughs> that's my lead to that. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen American Werewolf in London, watch it. It is uh, one of the coolest transformation sequences one of the coolest werewolf transformation sequences in cinema and our director today uh it is quite apparent that he was also influenced by 
elements of that film for his movie that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, but uh, yeah, so whenever I am asked, what are my favorite scary movies? What's my top five list? I'm always going back to when I was a kid. And then people are like, well, what about modern movies? And I go, oh, fuck. And I always have to take a minute and think about it because it's, it, it's tough. It's really hard to scare me these days. And maybe it's because I work in the business. Maybe it's because I've been around horror movies for so long. And maybe it's uh, because the just the time on this fucking planet where you realize that like, well, there isn't actually something in the shadows and those things moving on the wall are trees outside. And is it a better existence? I don't think so. I actually miss being scared like that. There's a reason why if I am gonna put on a vinyl like I did last night, I'm, I'm popping on like the old score from The Fog or I'm popping on the score from Prince of Darkness or I'm popping on uh, The Shining because I'm nostalgically trying to go back and remember the moment that I was scared. And I have to remind myself of this, that I am a dude that has been around for about 43 years on this fucking planet and that there are younger folks that had that same reaction when they were 15, 13, 12, and they watched something modern on television or in the movies or on Netflix. Um, and so uh, remember that. When we start to like battle over whose favorite fucking horror movie and what horror movie is the best horror movie out there and everything, just remember it's all about context and when you, when you actually watch these things, and when you're scared with stuff. And I'm also fascinated with the love-hate relationship that a lot of people have with horror, right? Horror is one of the best things to go see in the theater, in my opinion, uh, because it's such a visceral experience. If you hate fucking jump scares and you hate it when they still get you, they still get you there. Uh, you're usually glued to the edge of your seat at some point in a horror movie because it's all about suspense and building suspense and dragging you down that hallway, dragging you to that doorway, opening up that door that you're like, don't open that fucking door. And they open that door. Um, I love horror movies, man. And I love watching them with people that get scared. Gina's one of my favorite people to watch horror movies with. Turn on the fucking light. Where are you going? Don't leave the room after this movie. Don't you leave the room after this movie. I love that shit. It's so much fun. And I think that's why I got into this business. I think that's why I got into the genre of making horror movies. It's, it's because the reaction that you get from folks, the ability to, to help somebody drop their guard, to sort of lose the politeness, to get to that visceral, honest reaction from folks. I grew up that way. I love that, being an older brother. That was my process with my younger siblings, was always breaking them down emotionally. Um, and even, you know, coming from the East Coast and the idea of giving shit and giving each other shit and calling each other out for things, it's always been about breaking down those barriers, breaking down the polite uh, barrier that people put out in front of themselves. And it's very difficult to do these days. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, today's episode is a great one. I'm excited. I uh, hunted him down after seeing uh, his movie and turns out that he likes the show. It turns out he listens to the show. Fucking A. It always blows my mind uh, that this little show gets around to people. Um, Josh Rubin. Joshua Rubin is on the show, the director of a little film called Scare Me. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, it's an indie that uh, premiered at the 2020 Sundance uh, Film Festival. Uh, and a movie that I saw that I loved 
great cast, great group of folks in the film Werewolves Within. It's a fucking really funny, really fun, really scary, fantastic uh, like Halloween watch. Very highly recommended for you guys to watch and see. If you haven't seen it yet, this episode might be better if you watch it first. Maybe you pause right now and dig it up. Look up Werewolves Within. I know you can get it on streaming services right now. Um, and check it out. There's a phenomenal cast. Sam Richardson's in it. Uh, uh, Milana. I can never pronounce her last name. Uh, Vanthrob. She's great. She's from the Verizon ads, or the AT&T ads. Uh, she's a stand-up comedian. She's amazing. And in this movie, she's phenomenal. Really great watch in this film. Uh, amazing stellar cast of characters. Really well directed. Um, and the movie is loaded with jokes. Loaded with jokes. To the point where I'm laughing and I'm missing jokes. Uh, so the rewatchability on this film is very high. <laughs> because there's so many quotable lines. Um, it's really great. It harkens back to like Amblin. Harkens back to like old Ivan Reitman. You know, it's got like a lot of those elements that we love about Ghostbusters. And it's actually a great video game adaption movie. I had no idea that it was adapted from a video game, which is probably good that I didn't know that first because I would have been like, oh, fuck. Because how many video game adaptions out there are any fucking good, right? I know that there's a whole cluster of you who are like Resident Evil. Fuck you. There's... <laughs> There's, there's not a lot of good video game adaptions out there. And this one really is at the top. I think it's phenomenal. Uh, to the point where it doesn't matter that it was based on a video game at all. Um, so, highly suggest you watch it. Watch it first. Take a second. We'll wait for you. There you go. Here. We'll play something while we wait. Watch it. <laughs> And with that, and our, our, our resident werewolf, get ready for the brand new episode of In Love With The Process with guest Joshua Rubin. You know the deal. Strap on those noise-canceling headphones. That way you can hear this little guy growl right into your soul. And get ready for the Halloween edition. I'm in love with the process.
Josh. Thanks for being on the show, man. How are you? I'm very well, man. Thanks so much for having me. Um, pumped uh, to have you on. I'm very excited about uh, Werewolves Within, and this isn't me, you know, just doing what most podcasters do, which is like, your movie is great. No, it was fucking great. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it was my, my first uh, quote unquote studio experience, at least in so far as the movie in it. Um, it, uh, it was so much fun to do. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I winced at the, um, the prospect of directing uh, a video game movie. And then I read the script and I was like, oh no, no, this, this actually feels like this feels like arachnophobia. This feels like Fargo. It feels like yeah. all the stuff I loved as a kid. Yeah. What a, what a deep, what a deep cut that is. Arachnophobia. That was what John Goodman originally, right? Wasn't that what that Frank was? Marshall directed John Goodman. I'm actually staring at my buddy, Matt Catanzano, cause he's a sweetheart. He, he made a Delbert uh, t-shirt. So I have a <laughs> Delbert, the exterminator t-shirt. I'm staring at it. It's one of the, the, the the pieces of mail I came home to, and it's just so cool. It says rock and roll on it. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's uh, It's still part of my life in a big way. But yeah, man, I, I think that one is just, it's such a great comedic uh, genre touchstone. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's a movie that a lot of people don't talk about, a movie that you forget about until you see that epic poster. Because I, I always remember that, like, what was it? The, the small town in the background, and then uh, like a purple moon and... <laughs> And then like a spider in front of it or something like that. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, it had Spielberg's touch all over it. Like you, you watch it and it's a little more tempered um, than something Spielberg would have done. But Frank Marshall, having been his producer, it was just so clearly touched yeah. by Spielberg and, and, um, and it, it just all worked. But yeah, down to the marketing, it's just like, oh, the full moon, the small town where shit hits the fan. It's just, this is perfect. Yeah. It's right up my fucking alley too, dude. So um, well, yeah, we'll get into that stuff. And uh, like I said, thanks for being on the show and thanks for listening to the show. That's fucking great. Yeah, man, my pleasure. I feel uh, I feel important. I feel like uh, you know, <laughs> I feel like Team Deacons. It's funny after um, after uh, Werewolves came out and I had the opportunity to be like to check off boxes that mean something to me, like feel like I'm cool enough or important enough to talk to like Mick Garris or be on Joe Dante's podcast and talk to you. It's uh, the access that. In the video game of life, um, in the especially in the horror community, it's just like step one: Barbara Crampton friends you on Twitter. Step two: the King Cast is like, yeah, you're cool enough for me to talk to you. And Mike Petchy's like, you're cool enough for me to talk. Step three is like, you know, Brad Pitt might have a poker game, so I'm excited for whatever that. I guess I don't know. Um, yeah, but well, I'm happy being in this world. I'm just happy to you know buy a blazer and go out and talk about uh, you know spider movies. Well, yeah, all right, great. So don't suck on this episode. We pushed Spielberg for you, so you're yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, we bumped you. Sorry, Damon. You know. Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, let's get into it. What uh, my research that I was doing on you? You started as an actor first, right? And then you got into directing after that. I did, yeah. I uh, I wanted to do the like turtleneck and serious actor thing, um, <laughs> mainly because Robin Williams, who is my hero, uh, both from the acting side and just as a performer side, was like, oh, he went to Juilliard. He did the serious actor thing. So I did that for a while, um, only to realize, of course, he dropped out and I didn't go to college. And um, uh, <laughs> by my whole start to this whole process, the whole filmmaking thing was being an actor who couldn't get an agent. So I started making videos with my buddies and that turned into a, you know, a career basically. Smart. It's very smart. I know a lot of guys that did that and it's a smart way in. And I think it's fascinating 
as I talk to directors on the show, I've been very blessed to be able to chat with people that come from different places and writers that become directors and and uh, photographers and music video directors that become directors and then actors that become directors. It's fascinating to me uh, the different angles that that come into this field or different ways into this field. Um, and then uh, their focus and how that sort of shifts their preparation, how that sort of shifts their production um, and really creates wildly different stuff. Um, and with actors, I'm always fascinated because you guys seem to have I know you do. You guys have uh, a sense of what it feels like to be in front of the gun, what it feels like to put everything on the line and how to get great performances out of your your peers, your fellow actors, uh, which I, I envy that uh, from that you that you have that skill because I don't. Um, so with you, are you as a director, are you constantly going back to all those experiences you had as an actor, all those bad moments and stuff that you're like, if I ever fucking directed, I would never do this. Well, first of all, let me ask you why you feel like, because I know you're a filmmaker, why do you think you don't have the, um, the, the touch for being an actor's director? Or if that's what you're getting, is it mainly because you just weren't an actor to well, begin with? I don't see, I don't know if I don't have the touch of being an actor's director, because I think I'm figuring that out. I just think that at the end of the day, the experiences that you have in front of a camera, like how do you take, how do you take a bunch of bullshit direction especially doing like commercials and stuff how do you take a bunch of bullshit direction and translate it into something interesting and uh also not lose uh confidence not lose sense of self in that process of doing it um i admire that i really do i just i don't think i have the balls uh to get in front of the camera and do that you know what i mean and so i just i respect it i and i try to understand it as much as i can you know i hear you i mean i think um I'm still kind of figuring it all out, you know, my, my whole process of um, working with actors. You know, it's funny, I did thousands of videos, like internet videos with actors of all ages and all shapes and sizes and backgrounds and experience levels, mainly from college humor. And I didn't blink. I didn't like bat an eye at, oh yeah, fuck it, we're just going to go make a thing. And yeah, cool, we'll ask for these actors, you know, we'll do like a, a wide net casting on Craigslist and they'll get paid in sandwiches. <laughs> um, and I didn't think about in the garage band filmmaking days of doing like sketch comedy um, that hasn't aged well, I'm sure. Like, I guess comedy <laughs> doesn't. Um, right. The punchline was always like, yeah, you're gay. And then shooting yourself in the head. Um, <laughs> that was like honestly like every sketch. Anyway, uh, I, I think um, – I don't know. It's just funny when you're just kind of like young and kind of in it, you just do it, but you don't think about the fact that you're directing, you know, older people, younger people, you're just kind of going, let's go, go, go. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it's great, 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 great. And now, now having done my first feature and the second one brought on all this anxiety about the actor's psychology. And I think a piece of that is because I've directed commercials in my professional career before both films. Mm hmm where some of them were assholes, you know, where I dealt with celebrities or where the, the, the allure, the cloud of celebrity freaked out the kid in me, the garage band filmmaker in me and scared the, um, the collaborator in a weird way. So I had all this anxiety going into werewolves thinking, well, fuck, they're all comedic geniuses. Some of them have worked with the Coen brothers or Spielberg or have just been on the biggest TV shows um, in recent years. Mm -hmm. And I got, I got really spooked and I, you know, I, I read John Badham's book about, you know, the directing actors and 
I was asking, you know, advice from people like Noah Sagan, who's worked with Ryan Johnson on, on every single movie he'd done and going like, most actors are nice, right? Most <laughs> actors are cool. And I am, I am the actor when I realize all, all that anxiety more or less goes away after I realize that 99.9% .9 of actors want to be directed and they're all pretty cool. And I think that I, uh, my superpower, as it were, is that I can disarm people mm -hmm. with the humor, you know, with the comedy side of it, that, that I'm a funny person, first of all. But secondly, yeah, that I've been in front of the camera. I know how uncomfortable it is to have a director who doesn't remind you where you're coming from, what right. just happened and what's about to happen. Right. No, totally, man. And that's a skill that I've kind of had to teach myself you know, through the world of commercials. And then eventually when I got into the film stuff, that is important because I came at it from a completely different angle. I came at it from the visual side. I came at it from being like an artist, a cinematographer, a photographer, all that kind of stuff. And so mm -hmm. the, the language of cinema, as far as uh, what you see on screen was at the forefront for me for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I had Judith Weston on the show and her book is really great uh, directing for actors and Mm. Um, and her and I talked about it and I joked, I'm like, you know, in the beginning of my career, I felt like actors were a bunch of mythical unicorns that were sort of standing in the corner. If I went over and I talked too loud, they'd scatter. Uh, and it took me a long time to get over that and sort of, uh, find, find the kid again. And it's, I, I think it comes down to the fact that it's just completely two different mindsets. There's a mindset involved with sort of directing technicians, which is, down to the minutia of like, hey, can you dial that light up? Can you dial that down like 20%? Mm -hmm. Can you do that? And then you turn to an actor and you're like, can you dial your performance down 20%? <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like, it just doesn't fucking work. You know what I mean? So it took a while for me to figure that out. So I, I think I, I'm just fascinated by it just because you come from a different angle than I do. And, um, and I see the results of it because in Werewolves Within, you have such fantastic sequences with multiple actors um, and uh, like overlapping dialogue and uh, really just really strong, it felt like almost improv performances. How much of that movie was improv? How much of that movie was off the script? Very little was improv because our schedule went from about 25, 26 days to 22 days. Um, wow. we, we realized shooting in Fleischmann's New York, where Jim Jarmusch shot The Dead Don't Die. You know, <laughs> So we thought, well, we're blessed. Um, we thought that we wouldn't lose two hours a day to a crew commute because some of our crew, some of our cast was in Kingston. Mm -hmm. It was about 50 minutes away. Um, we were crunched. So we didn't have a lot of time to do like play takes. And and that burned some of my actors at some points with the speed at which we moved. You know, there were moments when folks were like, I'm not, I don't, didn't feel entirely taken care of when we're like, you know, you're trying to keep the sun in the sky. Right, um, right. But that's the beautiful thing about working with just like, Folks who come from live performance backgrounds and who are so down, like folks who on majority did come from, if not the theater world, the improv world, where it's like, fuck it, let's just roll with it, let's go with it. We got to shoot this thing in 25 minutes, fuck it, let's just listen to Josh and figure it out and fill in the gaps. Um, not a lot of it was improvised because it was it was pretty crunched. We always had the post-lunch crunch for my poor UPM <laughs> would, would come up to me and go like, oh my God, Josh, okay, so what, what shots do we have left? And I walk through every single one. I mapped out every fucking thing as I do with every project um, uh, out of anxiety and also just like, come on, we should be prepping so that they're, you know, on the day you can just get into it. Uh, and I'd say, here's the six things we got to do. And 
let's just um let's just get into it you know I, dude i fucking dread lunch <laughs> i really do yeah. like after lunch it's the i talked about it on the show in the past where like you know the beginning of the day is always tough you know first two shots are tough and then you start to find your groove and everybody starts celebrating mm -hmm. and you're like keep fucking working and then you get to lunch and you're like god damn it let's go eat hot turkey yeah. and just see if we keep up the energy after the fact yeah um it's yeah it's uh it's tough it's tough and necessary and i hope that with the uh quote unquote averted strike of it all that, you know, we mm -hmm. figure out, um, you know, how to keep those breaks and how to keep turnaround, um, uh, safe and, and at least expanded for crew that, you know, needs that downtime to get back into it and need to get rallied. Now, a big part of it too, honestly, is as I'm realizing, like going back and forth between behind and in front of the camera is you need directors who know what they're doing. Like I hear horror stories about directors who have two sets built so that they decide when they get there rather oh, than like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, it's insane Stuff to like me. That. It's, it's insane like, to me. Yeah. So for you, uh, what's your prep process? This is interesting. Okay, so what? what's your, you you either write a script or you, did you write this one or was this a script that, was, that you were brought on to do for Werewolves? This was Mishna Wolf's script. Uh, that's her real last name. Um, she's an absolute genius. Uh, the script was actually, it was developed um, by Mishna and my producer, Margaret Boykin, under Ubisoft's Women's Film and Television Fellowship Program. So she, she had been in development with the piece for a while, but when I came aboard, I did what's called a director's revision, mm -hmm. um, which you know is, is the polish that went through not only just for budgetary reasons we got to cut these big set pieces at x y and z but also um i'd go in i did all my comedic comedy punch-ups uh especially knowing certain actors i was going to have a board like george basil and i have a shorthand he played marcus i said oh here's going to be some you know some specific things i want for xyz actor and such but also um getting ahead of the game in terms of shot listing so i'm resequencing or reformatting some of the script um you know breaking up some and not that Mishnah had really any longer paragraph, but any um, any sort of sequence I even my dense brain couldn't wrap my uh, couldn't wrap <laughs> around. Mm -hmm. I would um, I'd reformat it to sort of almost be shot sequence to be a clear description for my brain and also to get ahead on the prep side. So that's to say that when I go into prep on anything, um, it's supremely thorough. Uh, mainly for the sake of anxiety. And in this yeah. case, specifically, you know, on, on the first one, it was, I need to get this thing as wrapped up as I can because I'm going to be in front of the camera pulling a Jim Cummings. Um, so <laughs> on the day, all we're going to do is work, by the time we get to set, we're blocking it. I tell camera where everything's going. My DP has already shot listed this thing with me. We've talked it through ad nauseum. I go to makeup. I'm a good partner for Aya Cash and Chris Red. That's all I need to worry about. Right. Um, right. So I'm, I'm just, I, I get really thorough, you know, um, and I, uh, I get as thorough as I can before we get there and, you know, um, we, we roll because I, I've got anxiety and I don't want to be answering 56 questions when I've got to be there for my actors, you know. So this is interesting. And let me just sort of dig into this and, and bear with me if you will, because Please, I'm, yeah. I'm always incredibly fascinated with how different directors sort of tackle their prep. Like how, how detailed are you getting with this stuff? It's mostly coverage. So by the time I get to, by the time we're shooting, the script has been all the dialogue um, and all like the quote unquote character motivations, if that's kind of what you're touching on. I've already done my homework in so far as 
I understand everything, everyone. I rope in my writer too. Like if I have a writer on something, yep. like Mishnah Wolf, rather than, you know, um, uh, icing out some writer, which I think would be a nightmare in any scenario, yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. if a writer has spent years working on it or whatever, and certainly in this case, as part of the fellowship, um, I don't want to ice out a writer. I want to sit down with the writer as I did with Misha and say like, what psychologically in your dream of dreams is the ideal version of this movie? Um, hmm. And also what, what do you think Janine is like, you know, uh, uh, when she deals with trauma or in her most success, uh, successful place in life or, you know, whatever I'll get as kind of granular as that. But, um, I want to know what the what the writer really dreams about this thing being because it helps me kind of like with the actors psychologically understand mm-hmm. um, sure them and their intentions of the film like Mishan's like I love Clue I love the thing these characters are archetypes like Mr. Plum is literally like you know a color or Professor Plum is literally like a color and you know their job is their name <laughs> or you know whatever. Um, but it also helps me uh, not kill the baby. It's their baby, and and it helps me like assume some understanding and responsibility to not fuck the thing up. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also, yeah, we'll also kind of roping them in on the conversation, creative and otherwise. For me, the the physical prep of it all is I will go through the entire script even before we have a location, and I will imagine the blocking. Yeah. Um, which might be sacrilege, but I will imagine the blocking and my how the movie plays out in my brain visually. And I will go through and say, scene one in the lobby, let's consolidate economically. I want these Spielbergian wonders. I'm going to play this out in a tableau three. Sam's character is going to join the three from the background to the foreground. And then we'll go into French over. So then we'll go into cinema, cinema height, uh, low angle. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, with an insert and then boom, three shots. I'm done with that scene. Um, that's, that's the kind of thing that I do. And I go, you know, 280 shots later before I even have a location, I've imagined what I want this thing to be. Then you get to the location and you're, you're doubling back and going over everything you did, which might be psycho, but I go back over everything I did and say, well, now that I know that the living room is this, it's going to change, but at least it helps me get in my head what the movie's going to feel like in my body. Before mm-hmm. I start talking to the, the other technicians, what's your casting process like? What was your casting process like on this? Did you make a list of people that you really wanted to work with, or did you have to work with a list of people that the producers really wanted to work with? Like, how did that work for you? It was a little bit of a, I had a lot of control. It was sort of cool. It was like, you know, once I think these guys realized they were in good hands with someone who'd only done a $380,000 movie, that, oh. um, <laughs> you know, I knew what I was doing, I knew who I, you know, uh, uh, what I wanted. And, the first step is your casting director. If you have access to or you can afford someone like Gail Keller, who does what we do in the shadows and incredible movies and television throughout New York, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'd seen Gail do a panel at the Woodstock Film Festival a few years before, and she had talked about like real casting, like back when she was working on Louis' show, um, He Who We Do Not Speak Of. But she was talking <laughs> about like – you know, I can combine like if I have an opportunity to think outside the box and combine, you know, this older theater character actor with, you know, Ray Romano for a scene, I'm going to do it. I think that's really interesting. And I was like, I love that philosophy. Mm. And so what I told her was, you know, 
I made I made a big list. I love character actors. I love the you know comedians and such. Um, I said here's here's people who I like, but I, I want you to kind of go nuts and throw spaghetti at the wall. But I also said I want you to be real with me. Um, this is going to be going to be a no assholes movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I and 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 I I said I I just want you to be honest with me, and I I I um. I, I'm playing no political games here because we're going to be in the middle of uh, Fleischman's in the winter. And if one person is a bad apple, it's going to be a shit time. I don't want it. And she's like, I promise you, I will only recommend people with sort of, you know, immaculate reputations. And um, that was my only mandate. And I was very firm with Ubisoft about it. I was very firm with her about it. Uh, and that was no problem. You know, um, how, how involved was Ubisoft with the whole, with the whole process? They were pretty involved. I mean, I think that they were really excited about folks I, you know, that, that perhaps they hadn't thought of. Like George, for example, George Basil has done a bunch of TV shows mm-hmm. um, from Flaked to Crashing, but, you know, they may not have been familiar with him as I am. With I, I th- he, he's, he's funnier, you know, or just as funny, if not funnier, than, than Zach Galifianakis. He's got that, but, he, <laughs> but people don't necessarily know his name. They know his face. And I said, I, all I know is I want George to be there because not only is he one of the funniest people I know, but he's a great hang and he's a great leader. Yeah. Um, he's very disarming. Milana Weintraub, I've known for over a decade. Uh, we used to do college humor videos together. She's a humanitarian. She's, you know, can hang with one of the guys just like she can hang with, you know, any of the crew. Her fart jokes are funnier. Her one-liners are funnier. And she's just a wonderful human being and a friend. And so I'm hacking the whole process by, at the worst case scenario, if all goes to shit, I have two people who hug me, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. Um, well, dude, that's but, uh, incredibly important is, is making sure that you're texturing your crew with, with people that you can trust, eh? But also people that you want to be around when shit gets fucking intense. And, and it does get intense on these film sets where you're like, you know, hour eight or 10 or unfortunately prior to the IATSE stuff, hour 15. Yeah. And you're yeah. You see Mike Flanagan doing this with not, of course, Katie Siegel, but with um, Henry Thomas, you know, he's like, you know what? This dude is like down for whatever. We have a shorthand or even like on a bigger scale, like Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. It's like these, the reason why DiCaprio and Scorsese, they, they keep working with each other is there's an understanding of shorthand. He's down he's down or she's going to be down and she understands um these people have similar temperaments it's why we you know we latch on to and create our tribes as it were so so anyway you know ubisoft's mandate was sort of like let's just make sure you know we get the kind of splashiest um casting we can for our for our lead roles mm-hmm. um that was super important for finn um, and, uh, Sam Richardson was always a name that was sort of, um, sort of in the hat. We were all super excited about, I didn't want another Caucasian male hero. That was also something, mm-hmm. um, I came in hard with. Um, so, uh, Sam was, yeah, Sam emerged the winner, our, our incredible hero. And, um, it was, it was otherwise it was really like, yeah, we trust you. You want Rebecca Henderson instead of, you know, Richard Jenkins, who would normally play this type of role, fuck it, like get Rebecca, you know? <laughs> Dude, um, the casting's phenomenal. And the, everybody plays off really well together. And Sam killed it. And I, I love Milana. And she's fucking killer in that movie. I so. mean, all of it, man. Like, I had just worked with Kathy Curtin, who's just like the most like working class, like rad New York actor who's like down for whatever, but has also done like massive shit. 
Um, mm -hmm. And you know, Michael Chernus, I loved since I saw him in the Aliens uh, off Broadway, and I mean everybody, Duvall, Cheyenne, Gail suggested Harvey Guillen, who was on a little show called What We Do in the Shadows that I hadn't seen yet, and I was like, <laughs> I love his look, I trust you, you know. Uh -huh. So uh, yeah, it was cool, man. Dude, really cool. So then you go through the process, you get your cast in place, and um, what do you do rehearsals? Is there a rehearsal process for you? It was really cool. We did it. We did a table read at the lodge. All the actors were staying, and what we did were rehearsals for the bigger scenes. Um, and by the way, once people were cast, or even when they weren't cast, mm -hmm. um, we'd have phone calls. You know, here's here are a bunch of actors who are at these super successful points in their careers, um, and they get a script, an offer for a movie called Werewolves Within based on a video game, and they're all going like, oh, God, who's Josh <laughs> Rubin? What's, what is this title? Yeah, right. I get on the phone with all of them, and I ask them, you know, I tell them about the movie and that I want to kind of make, you know, um, Fargo as if it were an Amblin movie or, you know, whatever my kind of one-line style pitch is, but also – have this psychological conversation with them. How do you like to work? How do you like to be directed? How do you like to be talked to? Hmm. So that I get to do a bit of an inventory with my actors uh, and understand them as people, A. And B, like I did with Harvey and like I did with George, I'd say, look, we're going out into the middle of Fleischman's in the winter. Mm -hmm. What actor do you want to play your spouse? So you have a buddy. And George says, what about Sarah Burns? I just worked with her. I thought she was wonderful. I said, I, I haven't, I'm not that familiar with her. I saw her in Barry. I love her. Let's go with Sarah Burns. Harvey, who do you want to play your husband? Cheyenne Jackson. I'm like, holy shit. I loved him and everything from United 93 to all shook up on Broadway. Yes. <laughs> and he's in Watchmen and he's, I, I, I've just known to that dude. I never would have thought of it. I was like, yes, great. So you're also including actors in the process of the casting. If, if you can do it, do it because then everybody has, they have someone to latch on to. They've got a buddy. You yeah. Know? And then they have stake. They, they have, they have for, further creative stake in the process, which is also yeah. really yeah. smart, dude. That's really smart. And so yeah, everybody does the stunt people do. Everybody wants to be a director. Everybody wants to collaborate. Best idea in the room, you know? Yeah. Um, you want to make people think they have skin in the game, but, but for the, as far as the rehearsals go, it was one table read and then the bigger scenes that sort of quote unquote tableau scenes. I said, let's just walk this thing out. Let's just generally feel it out. And then they get a sense of who I am and what my vibe is as a director. And then if any actors like Chernus did, for example, on an individual level, you want to sit down and talk about Pete for a minute, let's do it. You know, whenever you, whenever you got a second, just, just grab me or, uh, you know, once we were done with the rehearsal day, they all grabbed a glass of wine or a LaCroix and we walked, you know, we were rehearsing in the space we were shooting. Nice. So I got to take them on a tour upstairs and say, this is where Pete's going to get his hand bitten off. This is where the doctor is going to go crazy in her back room. This is where, you know, this, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Nice. Nice. And I love it. What do you look for when you do a table read? What are table reads like for you? Speed through the bullshit direction and just kind of get to the actors just having fun hearing each other out. It's it's the, the key is that it's got to be low maintenance. You mm -hmm. know, you get people together. It's not about acting the thing out. It's about the before and after. Um, and a little bit during, like, sure, let's see what comes up for people, how they're reading stuff, how, how they're interpreting stuff. That's all fine and great. 
for me, the table read is a bit more of like a, how's everybody saying hi to each other? Mm-hmm. How's everybody feeling after? Are they clapping? Are they quiet? Are they sticking around? They want to get out of there. Um, you know, uh, it's for, for me, for me, it's a total vibe, you know, vibe check. Um, and it's also really emotional. Like I choked up when I saw Michaela Watkins and Sam Richardson and my friends, George and Milana and fucking Wayne Duvall, like all under one roof. Um, Rebecca, like, <laughs> like all reading <laughs> together, like all gathered. And I was like, holy shit, this is our cast. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's wonderful, but it, it should be low maintenance. You know, it should just be like, what, let's see what they bring to it. And then if I have anything, you know, glaring, I'll pull them aside after, but it's mostly for them to come to me if they need to. Smart dude. It's like you're calibrating your director barometer at that point where you're just sort of yeah. looking around and, and seeing like how people are responding to each other and if they're excited. That's real smart too. Um, all right, cool. So, so we go through the process, you do your table read, and then I'm sure you're thrust right into production, right? Um, what, uh, what are your, what, is, what is your method for um, uh, blocking a scene on set? Do you have them just sort of walk through it so that the crew can see what's happening? Or do you do like an early rehearsal? Do you like to roll on rehearsals on set? Like how does, how does that work for you? That's a great question. Sometimes you will roll in a rehearsal if it's sort of like, uh, intense or it's simple or, you know, they kind of get it. Um, I, I'm an actor who always, just me as an actor, I always just want to go. But if my DP is begging for a camera rehearsal or if my um, my my AC uh, or my focus puller rather really wants to do it just because there's, you know, sort of interest in intricate blocking or whatever, mm-hmm. of course we'll do that. Um, but uh, I guess I, I've already had it figured out. You know, I just did this movie with Travis Stevens, who did Girl on the Third Floor, and Jacob's Wife, just as an actor. Cool. And and his, um, I love his first question as we're kind of walking onto set is, would you like to hear some of my ideas? <laughs> you know, and that's kind of it. As a director, you go like, I have my ideas. Would you like to hear them? And I think any actor, wow, unless you're like maybe Pacino or something, or or you've got a point to prove. They're going to want you to say, yeah, I want you to, you know, my, my dream scenario is you start on the couch and you end up at the fucking pot on the stove. Not only because that's, that's the action in the scene, um, but, uh, you know, because it, 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 it warrants it or, you know, this, this feels like the right time to do it, but let's just talk it out. By the time the actors have gotten a set, I have a full scenario in my head for how I'd like that blocking to go. And then any actor wants to do something different, which on this one, they honestly – we're just down, down for all I had in mind with mild tweaks here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, then you you hear that out and you just kind of kind of go for it. That's actually really interesting stuff because we talk we we've been trying to get to the source of this on this show multiple times for for a lot of the listeners that are constantly asking this question: How do you collaborate with actors? How do you collaborate mm-hmm. with these folks? And it it. It's interesting in my experience is very similar to what you're talking about. You're trying to you're trying to show up with that preparation. You're trying to have an idea of which direction the ship's got to go in. But at the same token, you're also trying to leave it open so that you can be inspired and, and impressed or not impressed, impressed the wrong word. Inspired is the right word by the people around you. And if you you know, mm-hmm. if you're overly directing a, an actor where it's like, okay, you have to hit this mark, you have to do this, you have to do that. Oftentimes I find myself, uh, it just feels fucking flat. And it, ultimately it feels flat in my mind because I'm just 
a guy that was sitting in a desk somewhere coming up with this idea. And if I'm not open to this other breathing individual that comes from their family history, their life lessons, all this other shit, they're going to grab that tea kettle a different way. And in a way that I never would have imagined. And then I guess selfishly as a director, I'm like, that surprises me. And that keeps me enthralled because I know everything I've already planned in my head. So like, I'm always looking for that moment that surprises me and reinvigors me in the midst of the fucking storm that is, you know, shooting a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. The nightmare scenario is being unable to articulate to X actor why we can't, you know, why that character psychologically shouldn't have X prop that doesn't exist and that would that would make your production designer have a heart attack that they're requesting it. Um, you know, and, and you as the director have to say, have to know your homework enough to say without being condescending and being like, why the fuck would you ask for, you know, like a, uh, a, a bowling trophy when, you know, this is taking place in a, whatever, a boiler room and you're a, you know, a maintenance worker or whatever. Um, you have to be able to, to, you know, not put them down and say like, this is, this is why it psychologically wouldn't work or why it doesn't work for the story to not have this thing. Um, but if there is a, an action that they want to try, it's like, absolutely, let's try it. The, the nightmare scenario in my head is, is always and only not being able to justify um, what, you know, any, any, kind of, um, any kind of resistance, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, to, to, to something when I can't, uh, I can't see a direction any other way than I've sort of imagined it. That, that sort of thing is rare. I feel like that comes up more often than not when I'm sort of freaked out working on a, a smaller piece or a branded project even with some celebrity or something. And I'm sort of mm -hmm. more in my head about working with someone who's like, quote unquote, has more experience than I. Um, right. Uh, right. You just have to kind of like give yourself over, listen to what they have to say. But I think the key, man, is is honestly – Actors want to be directed. No one wants to waste their time. And I'm realizing this as an actor myself, that if I were to walk into a scenario where a director didn't know what they wanted, or at least didn't know what they wanted on the majority, that I would want to walk all over them. I would, I'd be like, well, why the fuck am I here that you're asking me? Oh, yeah. you're always asking me, what do you think? Um, or, or always asking their DP, what do you think? That's fine to ask the room what they think. You still have to have made a decision. Yeah. And that's a big thing I'm realizing is the kind of the hack to it is it's a nightmare when you walk into a scenario and they can't decide or they don't know and it's frequent. It's okay not to know, but when it's frequent, you will get walked all over. And I understand that. I used to be like, fuck actors who want to walk all over. It's like, no, no, no. When you want to walk all over something, it's because there isn't a firm vision. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're and you feel like you're wasting time, you know. Right, and you're shouting out into the abyss, you know, and it's like, yeah, what the yeah, fuck am yeah. I doing? No, I totally get that, and and I think that the the fear when I started, the fear with me because I was doing music videos and I was doing commercials, which oftentimes you have zero fucking prep. Oftentimes it's mm -hmm. like, hey, you're hired tomorrow, be on set, and so you just don't have that 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 prep time. I think the thing that settles all that stuff is prep and is just sort of sitting there and running through on your own in your own space. Like 
well, what if this person did this? And what if this person had this? And then they came from this place and you start to run through those different scenarios. And then through that process, you're like, oh, they should, what if they had a fucking gun? Or what if they had a sandwich mm -hmm. in the sequence? And so then you're, you're asking all those questions and, and, and sleeping on it and going, mm -hmm. yeah, right. This fucking makes sense. And this inspires this instead of doing that on set. <laughs> oh yeah. That's the other thing is like, I, I just don't get when actors don't have an opportunity to talk to someone before. Like, I just don't understand if it's an under five, I get it. Um, if mm -hmm. it's, you know, if it's a stunt person, I, I really do that, that, that least that pre pre day visit that early, you know, um, walk through obviously that's crucial. That's keystone. I just don't understand any, any director that thinks it's cool to meet a significant part uh, of their, of their movie the day they start shooting. I know it happens. I know it's tough. Um, and if it's an under five or it's a brief interaction, you know, and you cast off a tape, I understand that shit happens, but like, Oh, you're saying like meet someone the day of that you're working with. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand how that works, you know? And, and, yeah. um, like I, I didn't, I didn't have to have to call any act. I didn't have to call Glenn Fleshler, but I wanted to call Glenn Fleshler and know yeah. that he was not only cool, but also like, how does he want to work? What's his vibe? You yeah. know, there was, there, I talked to an actor that I admire so much that I love that didn't end up doing the film. We talked for an hour and 15 minutes just about like work and life on the road. And, you know, I, I know that if I came into this part that I would be filling, I, I know, I, I know exactly what I'd be doing and, and what my role in it would be. And it, I guess, I guess I'm saying that's, it, it's not it for me right now. And this kind of thing you want to just like clock, uh, and archive your um, your actor, uh, your your company of actors, so that you have the rolodex mm -hmm. to um, to know how to talk to them, work with them when you get there. Yeah, no, dude, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. Yeah, it's simple preparation. It's so wacky that that's become. I, I don't know. I think it's just because our our job title and our industry is just so loaded with all this like expectation and pre expectation and emotional yeah. expectation where. You know, directors of fucking genius, are they? <laughs> I don't think I've ever met a genius director. I think it just comes down to prep and it comes down to like spending that time and doing your fucking homework. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you know, putting your nose to the grindstone before you get on fucking set. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But uh, the whatever you do, man, it's great. I haven't seen Scare Me. <laughs> Thank I, you. I haven't seen Thank Scare God. Me yet. I saw the trailer for Scare Me and I'm pumped about fucking seeing that. But uh i loved werewolves i laughed my ass off you have so many jokes crammed in that movie there's like <laughs> i was joking around i'm like there's jokes in the cuts like you yeah. you hear someone off screen making a joke and i'm in the middle of laughing and i'm like fuck i gotta rewind it what was that other funny joke that was <laughs> happening there it's jammed yeah so much of it too has to do with brett bachman who i think is like i call him the secret weapon mm -hmm. um, he's our editor he is just like he might as well have been, you know, another producer. I mean, he he would he would come up with all these wonderful. I mean, like any great editor should, like challenge the kind of the narrative to a degree to make it better, um, to to texture it. But he was he's just so inherently funny anyway, and his editing is so kind of inherently like it's a lot of people are like wow Josh really clearly he likes Edgar Wright, 
and I do like Edgar Wright, um, uh, but I, you know, and I do like Hot Fuzz, and, and Hot Fuzz sort of came to mind in terms of the pacing and the style. Sure. But it was Brett's energy and Brett's touch that makes it feel like it's it's in the Hot Fuzz Shaun of the Dead universe. Um, the sound design, forget mm-hmm. about like the way that we cut. It's not not even that cutty of a movie. The the sound design so much. Um, was his contribution um, on top of the the pacing of it all that really made it feel like one of those you know paced up genre films you might see out of the right camp and um, Brett was just yeah just an absolute uh, hero on this on this on this movie and so fun to work with and a big piece of why you know jokes are kind of layered textured yeah um, yeah throughout. He's great, dude. I, obviously, he's been on the show. Him and I have hung out. I'm actually trying to convince him to cut one of my things. Uh, uh, he's super cool. We uh, He knows how to tear through buffalo wings. The two of us yeah. two of us destroyed like two plates of buffalo wings recently. Yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a good dude, man. And uh, I really dig his style. And his his work has been fucking insane. Like, like Pig was like, oh, Jesus. I, I just can't get over it. I know. And the stuff he's working on now that he can't talk about. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, I think he's going to be hard to reach, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. sooner than later. Yeah. It's moving. It's circling us. Ah, oh, fuck. What's the plan? Plan? Let's just keep walking. That's right, a lovely stroll on the moors. Tra la 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 la. Isn't this fun? It's in front of us. You think it's a dog? Oh shit, what is it? Yeah, it's a sheepdog or something. Come on, turn slowly, let's walk away. Nice doggy. Good boy. Come on, Jack, walk away. Walking away, yes, here we are, walking away. you see anything? No. Sounds far away. Not far enough. Come on. Jack. What? Where are we going? I don't know. I'll tell you when we get there. Okay, because... Oh! <laughs> you really scared me, you shithead. You couldn't help me up or what? That's right. You, <laughs> you should now know that when you start to hear that clip from American Werewolf in London, that is time for us to talk about our sponsors, our new sponsors, our affiliates on the show, and uh, one of our new affiliates, our friends over at BarkBox. If you are a pet owner, which I know all of you are, everybody out here in Los Angeles has a dog or a cat or something, um, and the only reason I know this is because, as you know, I'm allergic to these animals. Um, I love dogs. I love cats. I tend to have uh, an aversion to pet owners that don't believe in my allergies. (laughs) So so, uh, let's celebrate your little pup by signing up for a subscription to BarkBox. Use the link embedded in the description of this episode. It's the IWP link. When you click on that link, they know that we sent you. Everybody that gets sent there, uh, the BarkBox will throw us a little bit of loot to help support the show. Uh, How does BarkBox work? You can subscribe starting at $23 per box. Monthly Dog Joy is just a click away. Uh, Your first box ships immediately. Free shipping inside 
uh, the 48 United States. Your monthly long dog party begins. They never look at the cardboard box the same way again. Have you guys used BarkBox yet? If not, sign up. Let's see, what else can I read off their website here? Because they have given me zero copy. Uh, mischievous Mutts, free bonus toy in every box. Give your dog exactly what they want. A totally customized box of themed toys and treats for your pup every month. So I know how much you guys love your dogs. Uh, and I know how much you guys love to spoil your dogs. And I know how much you guys like to take pictures of how much you like to spoil your dogs. Because Gina likes to look at all the pictures of dogs that she cannot have. Are you in here, Gina? Are you bummed out that you can't get a box box, a bark box subscription? <laughs> you know, you can always get a subscription to BarkBox for me. And then I'll, I'll wait at the doorway. I'll bite the leg of the mailman. And I'll open up that box and I'll chew on every one of those toys for you. Am I enough of a dog for you? There you go. So, for the rest of you, check it out. Like I said, use the link embedded in our episode. I'm not going to read it. Some weird fucking link. It's embedded in our episode. Uh, the description below. Click on our link. Sign up for a subscription to BarkBox. Uh, let me just double check here. Ba -ba -ba -bum. I think that's it. I'm just going through. These are new ad reads, so I'm trying to make sure that I get everything on them. Yeah, BarkBox. Check them out. Link is in the description. Uh, okay. We have a new sponsor on the show. Now, this is a great sponsor. You've heard the sponsor before. I'm excited about it. Lance is excited about it because Lance is joining me in the sponsorship as well. Uh, we're both going to be using these products and then we're going to let you know what it was like to use these products. But let's talk about our sponsor. Support for this show is brought to you by Manscaped. Yes, Manscaped. You've heard about it on other podcasts. If you haven't done this before, do it with us, please. We need to get a group of you guys to do this now. There has to be a certain amount of people. I'm, I'm giving away info. There has to be a certain amount of people that sign up for this immediately for this sponsor to stick around. So if you're looking for uh, shorn balls, if you're looking for a cleaner crotch, this is the place to go. Uh, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world? It's Manscaped. Offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. These guys are not fucking around. I think I, I just opened their box this morning. I went through it, all of their merch, everything that's in there is about keeping my balls happy, <laughs> which I fucking love. I love their entire marketing campaign for this. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. They do have a sense of humor. Uh, you heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ILWP at manscaped.com. That's ILWP at manscaped.com. Jesus, Michael. Talking points, got it. Let's talk about some Manscaped stuff. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I did pick it up. It is a very sleek trimmer. I am going to take it to the lawn later today. I will let you know how it runs. 
Uh, I am one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I'm excited to test out the performance. The craftsmanship and the details on it are at the next level. Uh, Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer uh, by focusing on uh, intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin, skin safe technology. Wow. Uh, I now feel comfortable shaving my boys. Okay, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about crotch shaving. Uh, this is something that I didn't think about until I was in my 20s. And if you've seen photographs of my face and uh, what's going on with my beard, then you can assume that that hair goes pretty much everywhere on my body. Gina's looking and laughing at me right now. It just sounded like uh, you were talking about your crotch instead of your beard. <laughs> instead of my beard? So what do you think? What is your opinion on shaved balls? Do you like balls that are clean? Do you like balls that have hair on them? You don't care? Hair is for everyone's choice. I don't think forcing anyone to shave. Why not? Because hair is beautiful. Do whatever you want. Whatever makes you feel good. Is this because you're actually a werewolf? Is this because you're a Hungarian werewolf? A Hungarian-Armenian werewolf? With the amount of hair that's on your body, is that what we're talking about? And you said you can imagine pictures of my, and I thought you were gonna say if you've ever received a picture of my crotch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I used to have to do it, and then I was doing it in a scary way where I'd use scissors, and that is scary. Snipping, whoo, because you're always looking for like the right contrast of light. You know, you're like hanging yourself over the toilet. And that white porcelain, just seeing if you can find all those little stray hairs that every once in a while get caught in your fucking zipper. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to try this thing out. And like I said, Lance is going to be trying it out too. Because I want two perspectives on this show. Same one? <laughs> We're not going to use the same fucking razor. <laughs> no, he's got his own. We're going to, uh, I want two perspectives. I want the perspective of a guy that uh, is in a relationship, that has been in a relationship for about 10 years. And I want to, see, I want to hear what Gina thinks of my, uh, let's say my, my well-trimmed landscaping, my lawn. And then I want to hear uh, what a single dude that's on the marketplace feels about it. You know, I dig it. Check it out. <laughs> I hope I'm doing a good job on this read. Uh, definitely check it out. Like I said, get 20% off and free shipping with the code ILWP at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Uh, we're going to be reading these guys on uh, the next few episodes. We're excited to have them here. And look, here's some insider information. Uh, they're only gonna stick around if, because I know a lot of you guys are thinking about getting it. Do it now. Sign up for it now, uh, because uh, the more people that we have sign up early on, the longer they'll be around. Let's just say that, insider info. So like I said, get 20% off and free shipping with the code ILWP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code ILWP. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, those are our two affiliates for the show today. Let's get into our long established running sponsors 
the people that make this show fucking possible, my buds, the dudes that I miss. I miss you guys over at Puget Systems because of fucking COVID. We haven't been able to hang out together. Uh, they were the last boys that we that we drank with before COVID. We actually went out and had quite the adventure with those guys uh, while we were shooting their photos for the last ad campaign, which is, and this is way back, what, 2020 or whatever the fuck it was, um, over a year ago. And uh, they were the last guys to hang out with us. And let me just say this. Not only does Peter Systems make an amazing PC, not only do they make dependable material with great customer support, tools that you can cater to your needs. You're not just being force-fed a fucking system by a larger company that just assumes they know what it is that you are doing. They assume that they know better operating systems that don't let you into certain folders because they assume that you're just going to fuck them up, right? We're talking about PCs. PCs allow you to really to open the hood on that car. You can really tweak out these things. And believe it or not, not all hardware works for every piece of software out there. Thing I love about Puget Systems, they don't manufacture hardware. They don't make parts. They build machines from hardware that exists on the marketplace. So these guys have no allegiances. They're consistently out there benchmark testing all these pieces of equipment. They're running these, these new software updates through this gear. They're trying to get the answers that we need to build a machine that runs perfectly for what we want it to run for. So head on over to PugetSystems.com. There you can choose a system based upon the software you use. Let me say that again. Based upon the software you use, you can choose a system. Why does, why, why does not everybody do that? Why don't the big guys do that? Right? Because they're more concerned about selling you their fucking shit. Anyway, let's not go on a diatribe, Mike. Uh, so head on over to PugetSystems.com. Buy yourself a PC. It's the shit. I use mine consistently. I've been using a Puget system for over seven years now. I've got two of them in my space. I just cut the last mom song video, which I shot in 6K with my black magic. Um, and uh, shot that, edited that on my Puget system, over 25 tracks of video in 6K raw running real time. Now, if that doesn't give you a creative boner, I don't know what will. Head on over to PugetSystems.com and check them out. And like I just said, let's talk a bit about our sponsor, Black Magic. I am so excited. I've been using their pocket cinema camera, their 6K Pro, um, for the past few months, and it's fucking great. I was one of those guys that when I went, last time I went to NAB, someone was showcasing 6K, and I'm like, why the fuck do we need 6K? And then someone was showcasing 8K, and I'm like, you guys are just killing us with these upgrades because now my system can't run this stuff. I was just so annoyed with it. Um, and uh, I got my hands on the 6K rig. I shot 6K raw. Um, the camera is beautiful. It captured amazing images. And then here's the best part. All those 6K files, those bra files, that .braw files. I can learn how to spell dickhead. Um, I brought those into Premiere without having to transcode them. I was able to actually edit all of the raw file information in Premiere. I was doing a lot of my color correction through Lumetri because of it, um, and they ran seamlessly. It was great. I'll be 100% honest with you, I had some rendering issues, but the great thing about Blackmagic is they released the new update on their website, so a new codec update, easily downloaded it, restarted my system, and the problem was gone. 
So love this camera. It's a really great thing. Love black magic. Uh, hope you guys love my fucking tiger tracksuit photo promo photos that I did for black magic. Cause I'm really excited about these guys. I'm excited to have them on the show as a sponsor. So please do me a favor, click the link embedded in the description of this episode and support the show, support black magic. And if you go to their Instagram page, uh, drop a little note under one of their pictures and be like, Mike talks shit about you guys all the time. Let them know. Um, also supporting the show, good friends over at Quasar Science. One of the things that bums me out the most about not having a Halloween party is that I can't light my house like a movie set. I miss that. That was one of the, my favorite things that I did back in Boston. We throw these massive fucking Halloween parties. I think one year we were at like 60 people. It was ridiculous. Uh, and uh, what I would do is I would light the house like a movie set. I'd punch like... Uh, tungsten units through windows with newspaper on the windows, run a hazer inside, streaming lights, colored lights, multicolored lights and gels. And uh, I would hide my quasar tubes all over the place. So uh, yes, yes, you're saying my quasar tubes are overkill for lighting a Halloween party. They, yes, they are, they very much are. Uh, but they're not overkill when you're trying to shoot a scene that looks like a late Halloween party. Uh, one of the things I love about the rainbow LED units is that any color in the rainbow, I can dial into that light. Simply done. Into this magical tube that doesn't get hot when you turn it on, that allows me uh, to run it off a battery, allows me to chain them together. I can run patterns through them. I can run effects on them. Uh, they're great fucking units. And many of you are asking me consistently, Mike, what do you have in your light kit? Because you guys know how much I love lighting. It's been a while since I've talked about it on the show, but I do. I do love lighting. Um, and most of the time when I do my lighting, I'm usually doing it for Gina these days. Um, but we're always running around with some sort of quasar tube. And it could be for, you know, doing really crazy neon Kate style uh, sequences, or it could just be as simple as hiding a small one just above the camera to give the actor that eye light that we need that reflection. Um, and uh, these lights are fucking phenomenal for it. So head on over to quasarscience.com and check them out. Yes. Um, and then uh, for us, for our show, if you haven't been there yet, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all our episodes based upon subject material. So if you want to get into the multiple episodes with horror directors that we've had on the show, head on over to our director section. We, uh, we talk about um, the editor of Werewolves Within. Uh, his episode is up there. I'm just double checking right now. This is why you hear me speaking slowly because Mike hasn't done his fucking research. And I wanna tell you what section he's in. Uh, let's see, what have we done on the website? Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so we have our post-production section up there and you can listen to the episode with the amazing Brett Bachman, who cut Werewolves Within. He also edited Mandy. Um, he cut Pig. If you've seen Pig yet, Pig is an amazing movie. Uh, he's a phenomenal editor. I'm lucky to know him. We're lucky to have him on the show. He's on episode 88. So head on over to and level the process. Check it all out. Um, and that's it. Let's get back to it with Josh.
through this whole process, right? Uh, like, because obviously you love directing. What is it? What is it that you love the most about directing? What is it? What part of the day is it in the prep? Is it in the shoot day? Is it in the edit room? Like, what part is the shining glory of all the hours and all the shit that you go through to make? Oh them? man, I I just I working with actors is just a damn dream. But like a, a surprise that does come up, um, like we had a really nice one on werewolves where Kathy Curtin decided to bring in, she goes, I want to bring in a tray <laughs> when I, when I, when I rush in to ask, um, if, uh, Emerson killed my husband and she brings in this tray and, um, and it just, I can't remember if how it naturally happened, but she brought in the tray and she sort of like leaned it towards Michaela who was right behind her. And I said, Oh my God, Michaela take it. And then when Michaela took it and she had her freak out, when she realized that the dog was dead, I said, drop it. It's like, you're now, now you have this extra prop thing just because Kathy thought to bring it in. And she started to sort of, I think inadvertently kind of want to hand it off to this other character. It's like, Oh my God, now we have this other element. We're not even talking about. That's just going to be there as a visual joke. Mm-hmm. These surprises that come up like that or, or in stunts, you know, when you're working with someone like um, Anthony Vincent, who is our stunt coordinator, um, the surprises that would that would come up, you know, where he would sort of inspire or um, I would get inspired by something that he said. And you sort of go, oh, my God, that's great. Let's add on to that. Those are the those are the moments when the talent informs the shot, you know, informs some great thing, uh, some great element through performance, you know, a, a prop, a um, an action, mm-hmm. something kind of tie the thing together. But what I really love selfishly is when I have sort of an intricate, maybe weirdo thing in my head and people <laughs> don't get it. And then when they finally get it and they see it, they go, oh, <laughs> you know, that's that's always a good one. It's like, oh, that's what you, oh shit, okay. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Told you. <laughs> the told you moment is, yeah, what we all strive for, right? But it, yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes it, it backfires, but it is what it is. Well, I mean, it's, it's really awesome to hear that stuff. It, it sounds like, I, I mean, I feel the same way. When when a production starts to breathe on its own, when yeah. when all the collaborators start to fire, like all those pistons are firing the right way, and then the thing starts to run off in a nice direction, you're just like, well, there she goes. It's, it's like yeah. a kid learning to stand on its two feet and walk through the room. You're just like, there Yeah, goes. yeah. There and I, I got to say, too, in the home stretch, as, as fun as editing is, especially when you're working with someone like Brett, the home stretch, the color process, you know, sitting in the room with like Jamie Obradovich, who's been my colorist for years, company mm-hmm. three, mm-hmm. it's just like, know that you're in the home stretch and it's a little more in the DPs. I mean, it's wholly in the DPs court, but just to, just to look at every frame of your movie and make it a little more beautiful, a little more, you know, rich. Um, or less so, whatever is, is just, that's just great. Cause you're like, I'm kind of done, but this is part of the process and I'm, uh, and I'm just able to like home stretch, you know, uh, uh, uh enjoy the leg room for a second and, and admire it all. Yeah, no, I, I had one of my flicks colored at a company three too. And it's so fat. It's like you go in and it's this weird room with like tears and you're sitting at like different levels and looking at this monitor and you, I always feel like I'm a tourist in there because 
you know, the DP's running most of the show with a colorist and I may have a note here or there and it's like, okay, so my most important decision is what we're eating for lunch today. <laughs> and just yeah. sort of watching this beautiful process happen in front of you. I agree with you, man. I, I really enjoy that. And I, I also love sound mix and, and the sound mix yeah. session. I think that is the most magical element to me is. Oh God, so, so good. I mean, yeah, and you're add, and adding score. I mean, they they they're both of them. It's just yeah, you're you're you think that the movie is one thing, and then you add sound, and it becomes an oh entirely different. Beat. It's just so wonderful. It it helps you see it better, right? You know? Yeah, dude, I can't cut. I mean, most of the stuff I do is all horror, so I I can't. Yeah. I have trouble cutting sequences without sound effects and sound in it. Man. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, how the fuck is this pace out? This is just someone walking down a hallway until I put the sound in there. Yeah, yeah. Or that you know, Colin Stetson score, you know, whatever mm -hmm. you put it, your Chris Young touch or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, I think Anna Drubich, who did our uh, who did our score, is just such a genius. She was able to like pull some strings with her Moscow orchestra. She flew to Russia and was able to score with an actual, during COVID, wow. was able to score with an actual, um, uh, you know, full, a full full orchestra. And it just, the sound is just crazy. You can like listen on this. Actually, I'm going to do that today. I'll listen to the actual soundtrack, you know, <laughs> on this uh, suite. How, how involved with that were you? Like, did you just give her notes and then she went off and did all that stuff? Or were, were you... A were you like tuning in via Skype or via, via uh, Zoom on that or? Yeah, everything, everything was unfortunately Skype or Evercast. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, you'd listen to um, your wave files or whatnot kind of offline and note what you could. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm involved, you know, I, I, I want, um, I want my composer to have, uh, to have as much kind of free reign as possible, but, but the limitations for me, were without using the terms nostalgic because I think Ubisoft was a little nervous about um, it feeling, um, you know, uh, uh, too much like an homage to say the '80s or whatnot. But I love the scores in the Goonies and mm -hmm. Poltergeist. I always use Jeff Gold, um, uh, not Jeff Jeff Goldsmith. He's the host of the other podcast. Oh, Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. And because I think the Poltergeist soundtrack is just so wonderful. So it was so much Poltergeist and a little bit of like um, a little bit of, uh, oh God, I can't remember what Brett was, would also drop in there. It was a lot of like um, a lot of horror, some hereditary stuff, that sort of thing. But uh, oh, so you guys were yeah. you guys were temping in when you were cutting? You we, were would, using temp? we would temp in just to kind of see how stuff would play. And then for, for what? Well, yeah, what I wanted was a kind of sweeping kind of movie monster score um and uh and ubisoft was like just so long as it doesn't feel like you know it's it's kind of dated and i knew that wasn't going to be the case you know just like a frank marshall arachnophobia mm -hmm. type score would you know sweep you off your feet with the sweet plucky small town of it all you also have the dark sinister side of it and so i i'd get as intricate only when necessary um where music either felt too busy um, and I wanted to kind of pull back and simplify or too saccharine. And I wanted to, to edge it up a little bit. Those are the only notes I'd really, um, I'd really have. There was, it was really funny. There was a moment when we were, we were working towards the end where the, um, the werewolf has been revealed and then is then killed, spoiler alert. And there's kind of a somber <laughs> note that we, we weren't quite getting. Um, where there was like two keys on a piano that just like weren't quite there. And, and, and we, we workshopped that for a bit 
um, once they once they um, the life leaves their body um, and you know you see there's sort of a, a hint of their human form again like that was something that was really important to me where like some directors I've seen or some producers I've seen just kind of be like yeah I know it sounds good it's good enough mm-hmm. that one note makes a difference man it you totally know? does man it really really does yeah it really does everything's about tone at that point you know and the the power of music it's it's so suggestive emotionally without the audience even understanding what it is which I love about it you know there's sequences that people will like die on their own sword like this is why this sequence is so amazing because of this shot because of what's yeah. going on and I'm like it's because of the fucking sound effect and the music yeah. cue you know yeah absolutely absolutely so much of the time yeah yeah how long was post for you guys how long were you cutting it I want to say something like it's it was like DGA standard it was like just shy of three months maybe like the editing anyway and then uh sound design might have been a, like a, a an intense week and a half uh two weeks color was like we had f- maybe five or six sessions mm-hmm. um but it the edit felt like it it we went on for a couple i think it was you know i think it was a couple months like the director's cut i think we had six weeks or something like that and then um then we did some test screenings over Zoom, which was really funny. We'd send people a link that would expire. They'd have to watch it by the time, mm-hmm. uh, even before it did. And then we'd hop on Zoom and I'd audit. Um, they wouldn't know I was auditing. I'd just see if you know people tear it apart or love on it. And uh, So you were test screening your director's cut? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's really cool. How long was your director's cut? Was it about the same length? Or was it a bit longer? Oh, God, I can't remember. I, I want to say it was probably about the length we ended up with we were pretty pretty um we were pretty rigid about keeping it uh you know 90 minutes um you know maybe maybe a pinch less not you know not too long yeah Um, but uh yeah we we were there was always more to cut especially you know in the first act we 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 had some we had a tricky time kind of trimming that down, trimming it down, seeing what was, what was absolutely bare bones necessary, getting Finn to the beaver field in, cause that was what was going to kick, kick the whole thing off. So that was, um, that was probably the, the, the trickiest of our home stretch, but, um, but also too, it was interesting. Like, you know, you, you might say there were like several cooks in the kitchen on this, but in a way I was very protected and, and it was ultimately, as, as overwhelming as it can feel to have, you know, five producers sort of weighing in, just mm-hmm. as an example, um, including Sam, who, you know, um, was was crucial. Um, how does this sit with you as a comedian, as a creator? You know, you're like behind Detroiters, you're behind, you know, you and Veep and everything else. Right. Um, everything we produce as a, as a writer. Um, how is this all sitting with you, the timing and everything else? It ultimately ended up being so beneficial. You fear these kinds of things, and and the the um, the resistant um, creator, like auteur genius wannabe, who's not at all, <laughs> is gonna is resistant to every kind of suggestion. Um, in in the in the beginning, and then you start to see this. The film is like a living, breathing organism that changes every every couple of days. You watch it every week. You watch yeah. it. Um, and, uh, that's, that's, that's a really important part, part of the post process that a lot of people don't, I think, take into consideration or the average folks don't think about It's like, oh shit, this is a, this is going to change like that draft you put in the, you know, in your drawer and step away for a week and then read it again a week later, the whole thing changes. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. Anything can be done in the edit, which is fat. Like I've spent years as an editor myself and I've cut a lot of stuff and you, 
you, you're in the room with other directors or you're in the room with other creators or you're just doing it yourself and you just realize that like the options are fucking limitless here. Lim- yeah. Limitless here. Let, let's try to figure out emotionally whether or not this is this is pulling pulling off what we need to pull off and whether or not the audience is responding to what we assume that they'd be responding to emotionally. Is there is there an act in the film that you or in filmmaking period? Is there an act that you usually struggle with or is there an act like a first, second, third act kind of vibe that pisses you off or that you really get annoyed by trying to make work or does that not kick for you? Act twos are always tough or they used to be until, um, oh God, I want to say it was on Craig Mason's podcast um, where they, they sort of they cracked the myth of the act two or like the, the, um, the, the obstacle of act two and made it feel a little more surmountable, which it, which is to say, it's like, let you, you, it's, it's, it should be the fun act where you take your main character and put them in a tree and throw rocks at them <laughs> and see how they react to rocks being, being tossed at them in, in said tree. Did they try and bribe the person who's throwing the rocks? to you know um to get down um Hmm. do they fashion a bow and arrow out of the you know the means in the tree do they radio for help um do they beg and scream and cry do they jump down and try to fight you know it's like it it really put things into perspective and it, it made act two kind of fun um but uh but also too, like I used to be the kind of writer who would write without outlining, and I, you know, hit the thirty-three page wall as we've all done. Yeah. Um, and um, and it it, I, it kind of broke open for me too to understand movies don't have linear plot lines. That there's what what's the B and C story that's happening, and and make that fun. You know, make it kind of uh, uh, make them make them really interesting, fun storylines for you to surmount, and then see how they kind of interconnect. Scare me, as you'll see, if you do check it out, is kind of it's almost like an unfair um, uh, uh, execution because what it is is uh, an assembly of stories that collected cobwebs in my drawers that I dusted <laughs> off and then strung together. Um, but I think I think how it survives and how it's the reason why it's been received the way that it has is because I actually had something to say. Even though it, it is, you know, some sort of an anthology piece that that never leaves the campfire, mm-hmm. I'm saying something, and that sometimes that engine is enough to carry something through 90 pages. It's like, oh, oh, the writer's angry about me too. He's angry about the state of the world. They're angry. They're they're saying something. They, you know, with fire in their guts, and that's like that's everything, right? That's crucial. Yeah, no, totally. It's fascinating. Huh. I hadn't heard that uh, the character in the tree bit. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it helps, right? Kind of, yeah. kind of like <laughs> shake shit up. It does. It totally does. I'm always, I don't. I'm always. I don't. I get frustrated. I think sometimes with the third act and third acts. I think when I make movies, I'm always thinking about audience enjoyability to a certain extent because those are the kind of movies I. And I know those are the movies that you love too, which is the Spielberg mm. and the Amblin and all that kind of stuff. And and I'm always going back and and thinking about the films that I loved growing up and the movies that come to mind and then the scenes and the sequences that come to mind for me and a lot of films are in the first and second act for most of them actually and then there there is you know the third act always has to be the fucking spectacle it has to be the reason why everybody's going you have to wrap it up it has to be the big fucking thing and um 
I don't know, man. It's a, there's this there's this uh, bit now, there's this uh, belief now in making the third act even shorter and, and and extending out the first and second act, which I'm fascinated by. Um, but yeah, mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it on that. I think it works for films like Nobody. You know, if you watch uh, the great action films, you yeah. know, where, where, where it's like in the home stretch. Like I haven't seen Halloween Kills, and I know there's there's a lot of like um, a lot of strife and controversy about it, but. There are just some movies where, yeah, where it it fits. I mean, there's there's also movies that just that start in the second act. You know, there's mo- or there's movies that start in the third act. You know, there's there, you can you can have like a movie like Revenge, or you can have a movie like mm-hmm. you know, a Lamb, um, uh, or the or the Lighthouse that just that that plays with all of it. I think it, like the the key is like you start you pull your uh, head out of your ass or out of the ground, insofar as getting bogged down and think like. Okay, what do what do I want to say, and what, what kind of movie is a, as the as they like? I'm gonna trust in my movie loving self. Yeah, like right, right. what I fucking love about movies, and I'm just gonna like I'm I'm gonna write a story that I I, I and then hold myself to the fire, um, you know, for for what's not working for me. If you really can, if you can objectively get there, or share it with people who'll be straight with you to that to that degree. Well, whatever you're doing, it seems like it's working, dude. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. All I want to do is, uh, it's funny, my white whale is dark man. All I want to do is, wow. is play that fucking wonderful, creative, scary, funny, dark comic world. And uh, it's just, it's it's so funny, like our lives, you know, doing what we do. It's it's like you yeah. you make stuff, you're just scraping by. And then like, you know, the, the white whale ends up being some... Uh, some uh, Liam Neeson horror movie monster uh, action picture. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. And then maybe I'll teach, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It's a weird world that we decided to live in, you know, it's a strange yeah. life of uh, torture and, uh, and uh, some of like insane life experiences. Like, is there, is there a, um, is there a story? Is there an experience that you've had on set that sticks with you? Is it, is there like a, uh, an experience that you've had that defines your career or, or the reason why you go through all the shit to get to there. Is there one moment in particular? Wow. That's a really, that's a really good question. One, a, a moment that defines, that defines my career or one, one that, one that I guess I, that might've been like Keystone to a degree. Yeah. 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 You put a flag on it. You know what I mean? It's just like, I went through all this shit, but I had this fucking thing that happened this moment. And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be, you know, an achievement as a director. It could be an experience that you've had on set with somebody or an experience that you had in prep or, yeah, you know, like, you know, I, I, I uh, there are two that come to mind. The first one was, um, when I made a decision not to do extra work anymore, which is a funny thing to say, mm-hmm. um, I did the, I did used to do extra work years ago in my early twenties, and I was I did um, a scene from Across the Universe, or, uh, which was this massive scene, this Julie Taymor movie, the Beatles one, and um, I was like last in the lunch line, um, and uh, there were like hundreds of people at the end of the lunch line. There was just a piece of lettuce and like a, a, a noodle drenched in uh, <laughs> drenched in sauce. And I was like, well, all I know is I, I love I love movies, but I never want – I knew that I never wanted actors to feel that way. Like they were slighted with lunch after doing everything that they did. I think that felt really – Yeah. That really stuck with me. It just like – 
I want to take care of people. Not that Tamor didn't take care of people on that step. That was just like as an extra, you know, you're 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 running around like sheep anyway, herded like sheep. Sure. But it definitely solidified um, just my kind of. Uh, I want to make sure I shake people's hands, make them, you know, ask them if they're fed. Uh, just be a good human being. Mm-hmm. Um, keep caffeinated, like the the human human um, and holistic side of the filmmaking process is tough as it is. Let's at least make sure we know people's names and that they get, you know, more than one noodle and one piece of lettuce. Um, The other thing is um, I used to work with a directing partner for years Mm -hmm. um, and realizing at, uh, at one point at the point that for any of us who've had partnerships, especially creative partnerships, they will end. I mean, the Coen brothers just, you know, split. Um, yeah. Uh, quote unquote, you know, uh, the Duplass brothers. Um, and, and that moment where I sort of went, we're not serving each other. We, we have to listen to the psychic flashes of the other corn, the, the, our respective corners that are calling. That was where it all began. Like that was the fucking beginning. Like, and that was where I went, holy shit. I'm actually like, how do I, how do I find my voice again? That first job after that, where I went, as nervous as I was, the stuff that I would have deferred to my partner to take care of, whether technical or otherwise. Yep. That was the beginning of the beginning for me. That was like the beginning of the, you know, finding myself, turning my life around like creative, you know, um, gears turning in a different way that where it was all me, gaining reputation and eventually leading to me taking the biggest gamble on myself of all, which was taking 26 grand out of my 401k from college <laughs> humor. And having putting that into like be the starter cash for my first movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I, yeah, I I I I think that's that's crucial. Like I tell everyone who's either in a partnership or or just at a crossroads at at any point to just listen to the the psychic flash or the pull of this does this thing doesn't sit right well or I'm working with people that don't serve me. I think I think I might need to go in this way. And I'm always like. Go in the way you are, your gut is saying, <laughs> fucking go. Always, you know. Yeah. No, dude, I went through something very similar. And so uh, I agree with you, man. Like there hits a point where you find, at least I did, I found myself in a routine. I found myself in this weird yeah. sort of grind where like five years went by and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Whoa. Like, you know, yeah. and you're just like, what is happening? And um, and oftentimes, you know, breakups are breakups. Breakups can be really fucking difficult. Yeah. Um, and you go through it and it's incredibly stressful and the, the, the post-traumatic stress off all that stuff can be really difficult. But it, I remember like finally being out of that scenario and, and walking mm-hmm. into a whole new space and just going like, everything feels lighter. Everything just feels like yeah. I, I can, I can. I, I can do this. I can do this at such a larger scale at this point. It Sometimes you just need that. And I don't know what it is. When I was younger in this business, I felt like I needed, I think it was fear. I think it was fear in general, where it was like, I don't think I can do this on my own. And I think I need to have people around me. And I think I need to have someone to do this with. And this will make my life easier. And this will make it. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, it turned to a point, because I definitely learned a lot during that process. And I did advance. And we, you know, I did make amazing things. 
Um, but there hit a point where I went, am I fucking hiding? Is that what this is? <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, and it's hard to confront all that shit because you know that they're, you're going to like, Oh my God. Well, I guess I gotta, I have to confront the inevitable like bandaid <laughs> rip and post rip bleed. Yeah, dude. You know, um, yeah. and that's going to suck, but it's, it, but people don't often think about what happens after that. Like everything after that is like the growth of new skin and hair yeah. and, you know, yeah. um, all that, that, that sort of proverbial shit. Yeah, dude, it's, it's wild. The air smells different. Like everything changes and yeah. you're just like, fuck, okay, cool. And, and then, that happens too, by the way, that that's like, that's the same thing that happens in life with buddies. Like you just sometimes as an adult, part of that process is like, holy shit. Like you don't have to be friends with people you've been friends with for 10 years. Right. Yeah, you can actually outgrow what you think is a good friend and that's okay. You know, that's, some people just just drift like they made a whole movie about, you know, the theme of Stand By Me is all about that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You go in and out of each other's lives like busboys in a restaurant. Yeah. And it's just about recognizing when you're ignoring the 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 thing that you need to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you're and it, it's feared. It was fear with me, I think. You know, it was just it always is. There's it's know. always a degree of it. Yeah. 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 But beyond that, you know, it's, it's always some some great thing. Yeah. No, that's pretty rad, dude. That's pretty rad. So, um, uh, what's next for you? Like, so werewolves has been successful. Like people know about it. People have seen it. So, uh, is it opening new doors for you? Are you getting some, uh, some new hot offers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the hot offers I've had, uh, it's been a lot of hot garbage. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll make, I'll make public, uh, this, the statement that if you have an idea about, uh, influencers or YouTubers or a TikToker in some horrific uh, scenario, but they've still got to use TikTok, unless you're Rob Savage making da dash cam, which I'm sure is phenomenal, by the way. Uh -huh. um, please, please don't, please don't say, I'm, I'm not your, I'm not the guy, you know? <laughs> I don't think I could, I could do, do service, to, to do, do proper service to the tale of um, a, 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 the TikTok killer. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be great. I just, I just don't think, I'm your, I'm the right one. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, dude, you're not the only one. I, like most directors that I talk to on this show, especially after they do their first, second feature and they get some success in the second feature as a, as a naive director, you sort of sit there and go, okay, when I do fucking something that's great and everybody gives a shit about it, then I'll be able to do some really great stuff. Everybody gets this <laughs> bullshit offers like immediately right afterwards. Like, hey, so you made a movie about werewolves? How about another movie about werewolves? Yeah. You know, and you're like, and by the way, I, I would do it. But the, the thing is that I'm realizing as stuff is coming in, there's been stuff that's come in that would have been a great first one to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, just as an example, and now you kind of go like, how can I, how can I do something else that feels like it's, it's, it, it exists in these worlds um, that still could, you know, be, be a rotation in the heart, the Halloween queue, um, but also like would be a bit of a challenge, you know, would be, would be a bit of a level up. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's also, it's just a testament to the, um, the, the invaluable uh, nature of writing or having a collaborator and constantly making your own shit. Cause you never know when someone's going to be like, I love your stuff. I've got a little bit of money. What do you want to do? Oh, I have this thing or whatever. You know, I know that's yeah. that wrote, but it's true. Yeah, no, I'm very blessed to have a writer that I work with and it fucking saves our ass consistently. Where yeah. you're just like, I'm, totally, you know, totally. 
you're going to be waiting forever if you're sitting around waiting for someone to walk in and go, this is the best fucking script. Do it. You know, and you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. That's totally true. Yeah, man. Well, dude, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. Um, it's cool to hear yeah. that you're a cool dude and uh, <laughs> it shows in your movies. I, I'm not surprised. I always say when I watch a film that makes me smile through most of it, it's like these people had fun making this fucking thing. Uh, and it seemed that way when I watched Werewolves that you guys had a blast making that movie. So. Thank you, man. We we did. I, I really appreciate you saying that. And I hope that the next one is just as fun, if not uh, funner and bloodier. So there it is, another good episode in the can. Uh, Josh is a really cool dude. Him and I talked a little bit offline and uh, you know, really get along and I'm, I'm pumped to know him. I'm happy that he's making movies. Uh, I'm happy that he's uh, inspired by the type of films that I loved growing up and that he's uh, continuing that tradition, breaking through the notes of like, oh, we don't want this to feel like an old movie. Fuck that note. Can we go back and respect the films that came before us can we go back and admire and be inspired by the techniques and the visual language of cinema that has been established before us can we go back and just make movies that are fun again we can we're allowed to i know we live in a in a world where the most important thing is socially loaded with all sorts of shit Great, there's a place for those movies, but they don't need to be dominating everything that we're watching on television right now. Movies are supposed to be fun. Movies are supposed to scare us. Movies are supposed to inspire us. Movies are supposed to transport us from the reality that we live into, live in, and into somebody else's reality. Hopefully through that process, we gain some empathy, we gain some understanding of what it's like for somebody else to live in the same world that you live in. All that stuff is insanely important. But with me, my opinion, my humble opinion, is that movies are supposed to entertain us in one way or another. And Josh makes entertaining films. So thank you, Josh, for being on the show. Thank you for supporting the show. And thank you for listening to the show. Um, and uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. I hope you guys are getting amped and revved up about Halloween. We aren't doing a Halloween party this year, which kind of sucks. Uh, I blame myself. I feel like I dropped the ball and there's a lot of folks that have been asking us if we're gonna do a party this year. And there was a lot of variables, a lot of working, moving parts that we had to try to figure out. And I feel like I did it too late. So I have to put something else together. I have to put together a fun experience. Uh, but I have been seeing a lot of really great horror films here in Los Angeles. I have been going to the movies uh, here in LA. I'm recording this uh, before Halloween. So uh, two days from now, I'm going to see Dune, which I'm pumped about. And I'm sure I will have things to say about that in a future episode, but I'm going to see Dune uh, over near Universal, which is great. And I also I have to look into this. I have to talk to Gene about it. We have to go see like a haunted house out here. It might be too late to get tickets, um, but I really want to do that too. I love this time of year. And at the end of the day, 
if all we do is we sit down and we carve pumpkins and we put on a couple horror movies on TV and sit around and eat pumpkin seeds around the fire, I'm into it. I'm totally into that. Uh, and we actually did that last week. We went through the process of uh, looking for, Gina did all the work. We looked for a great pumpkin patch and we went and, and went through a corn maze. <laughs> Pretty intense corn maze that's supposed to only take an hour and it took us two. <laughs> I put videos of that stuff online. That place was really fun. Uh, not that far out from us out here in California. For a hot second, I felt like I was back on the East Coast and I was back into the uh, the celebration of the old pagan holidays. Um, but yeah, man, fuck yeah. Halloween. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, I really appreciate how much Josh shared with us. He really went into detail on his process um, without even thinking about it. It's it just, it's wonderful, isn't it? We're in a business where everybody feels like they have to protect their stuff. And if I tell people how I shoot things, then they're going to steal that. Not on this fucking show, man. Everybody that comes on this show is so willing to share, so willing to open up, and so willing to sort of share the experience, the reality behind what it takes to do this job. And I love that. It was always the, 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 the mission goal from day one. And we're going to continue to do that until I can no longer do this show. Thank you, everybody for listening. Uh, have a happy Halloween and uh, come back and hang out with me next Tuesday. Oh, God.